Life is hard. Life with chronic, critical, and complex health concerns is even harder. We all know someone who is struggling with health issues or disability. It might even be you. And in the pain and suffering, we wonder if it's possible to move from surviving to thriving. We struggle to hope, struggle to persevere, struggle to trust that God knows what he's doing. But in the struggle, there is real hope, and it's possible to be rooted and ready to weather the storm. Welcome to the Bluestem Project Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Hello, and welcome to the Bluestem Project Podcast. I'm your husband and wife team, Brandon and Amy Smith. The Bluestem Project exists to equip and encourage you in the suffering, hardships, and trials of life that come with health issues and disability. We do this by helping root you in Christ and giving you the tools you need to be ready for life's greatest obstacles. Uh, the Smith family has had quite a set of circumstances uh, recently that has uh, made a number of things hard, including recording podcast episodes. Uh, as you might know, if you've listened to previous uh, episodes, our son Beckett, who is six now, uh, has special needs and requires a lot of uh, nursing care to help us with life. And we have been reduced often to about half of our shifts uh, for our nursing being covered, which has put a fair bit of weight on Amy and I. And added to that, uh, a couple weeks ago, our eight-year-old Brody broke his leg and is in a cast up over his knee. And so he literally, uh, he doesn't like the crutches because they slow him down, so he literally hops all over the place. So if you hear a, a pound, 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 pound while you're listening, uh, that's probably him hopping around upstairs and... Uh, I, there's there's not much I can do about it. Got to give the got to give, give the kids some leeway, uh, but then we have our our infant Bridger, and so Amy brought it to my attention. She goes, you know, we have three immobile boys right now in their own right, uh, and to think about that, it's like, wow, what a unique circumstance and time uh, in life. And so I'm gonna record uh, a couple episodes at least here without Amy. Uh, trying to add doing some podcast preparation to all that she has uh, going on is a little bit overwhelming. And uh, I don't think it's very loving for me as a husband to, to try and put that pressure on here. So here's where we're going to go in the next uh, couple episodes, just with, with me. I want to look at and examine the often asked question, where is God when bad things happen? And I want to do it by unpacking two parts of a philosophical argument called the problem of evil and suffering. And so the two parts include the logical problem of evil and suffering and then the emotional problem of evil and suffering. And before you you write this off because you just heard the word philosophy, I want to encourage you that we are all philosophers. How you and I react to situations, how we choose to live, reveals what we believe at the deepest level. So perhaps uh, nothing reveals the reality that we're all philosophers more poignantly than medical hardship and disability. Uh, We're walking, talking, living, moving, breathing philosophers. How Amy and I react to the situation of having three immobile boys at the moment reveals something of our deepest beliefs, and how you respond to medical hardship and disability in your life reveals something of your deepest beliefs. We're all philosophers. So here's what I want to do. The first episode, I want to examine the emotional problem of evil and suffering, and then the next episode, examine the logical problem. And here's the the difference, okay? 
The emotional problem of evil and suffering has to do with the very real, visceral, hard, painful emotions that come with the flames of affliction. You might find yourself right now as you're listening in the middle of an incredible trial and you have a lot of grief or sadness or anger, but you're feeling a lot of pain. And so I want to address where you're at in this episode first, right there, and point you towards the reality that you can trust God, follow God, and find comfort from God in the midst of it. That would be the the emotional problem. The, The logical problem of evil and suffering has to do with whether suffering and evil and the existence of them suggests or disproves that a good and loving God could exist at the same time. So we'll get into that in the next episode, but first we'll start with the emotional problem of evil and suffering. I imagine that because you are listening to this podcast, I don't need to do much persuading to help you understand or realize that very real suffering does exist. I imagine I could sit in your living room or perhaps your hospital room and you could tell me stories for hours. And if we got going, we could trade stories for hours more. And while I, I do believe you understand this reality, can I read you a message that my wife and I received from some friends of ours just to kind of highlight the reality of suffering? This was their message. Tomorrow, our daughter has her second open-heart surgery. Her surgery begins at 7.30 a.m., and they suspect it will be at least eight hours in the operating room. The surgeon will be removing the bottom half of her heart, which includes her cardiac mass, and attaching a mechanical heart system. Internally, it'll be different than what she has now and will provide better support as we await a heart transplant. Externally, things will look similar. We're really scared for tomorrow's surgery. Her surgeon told us that long-term, after the surgery and her heart transplant, there's a 10 to 20% chance that she'll make it. This statistic is absolutely terrifying and heartbreaking to hear. Their terrifying and heartbreaking statistic came true. She didn't survive, and they buried their only child. So we realize and know suffering exists. And in an overwhelming amount of agony, often people do ask, where is God? And can he help me now? And I want to say resoundingly, God is there. He exists. He can help, and he would love to help. Can I read one of the verses that has really sustained and comforted me in the hardship I've experienced in life? It's Psalm 34, 18. It says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Elsewhere in Psalm Uh, 116 verse 15 it says this precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints so he's near to the brokenhearted and the death of his saints is precious to God so God is near to his people when they suffer even when the negative emotions we might be experiencing suggest he's different the emotions might you know, be screaming, God's distant, he's abandoned you, he doesn't care. And what what we have to do is determine, really, which voice are we going to listen to? Are you going to listen to your emotions, or are you going to listen to God's word? 
If the if God's word says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushing spirit, and your emotions say, well, he's distant, you got to decide what are you going to listen to. Let me give you a, an analogy. Picture an old school kind of uh, locomotive, right, where you got the the engine, uh, or, or you know, or the locomotive car that is fueled by coal, and then you have the caboose. And let me just label each part of the train for you. The engine is the facts of God's words. You could write facts on the side or paint facts on the side of the the engine. The coal car, you could put faith. And by faith, I mean trust. And the caboose, you could paint on the side feelings. And what we have to decide is, where are we going to put our faith? Are we going to load the coal of our faith into the facts of God's word and let the feelings follow? I would suggest if you do this, you're going to end up with right feelings. And if you flip this all around and you are led by your feelings, depending how serious the the misbelief is, it's going to be a real train wreck. Let me give you a few more facts of God's word that if you are his child, this really applies to you. Okay, in Deuteronomy 31.8, it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, this is amazing. Think about this. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in creation is able to separate you from the love of God, including your suffering and hardship. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, Surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Let me give you just a a couple more. I have memorized these for years, and they have come back to benefit me greatly in my time of need. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And Psalm 46.1-3 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So God is close to his people when they suffer. He never leaves them alone. Nothing can separate them from his love. And he promises to strengthen, help, uphold them. He's a refuge and strength. And his presence calms fear in the midst of life's storms. May I take just a second here to address and point out that perhaps one of the reasons that God feels distant or seems distant could be that you've had some unrealistic expectations about life in this world or the Christian life in general. Here's here's maybe one misbelief, unrealistic belief that I have seen, and I want to point out and, and give some correction to, and it's this, that God exists to bless me in this life with health, wealth, and happiness. So this view sees God in a way, and and most people wouldn't 
wouldn't be able to actually acknowledge this as as real as, as the analogy I'm going to give, but they kind of look at God like he's a cosmic vending machine. And it's this view that God exists for me, not that I exist for God. I've loved the, the explanation of the, in the Westminster Catechism that says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So why do we exist? We exist for God, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. That's one of the main ways we glorify him is by enjoying him. So I exist for God, not God existing for me. Here's another misbelief that I have seen, is that people underestimate the effects of the fall or the fact that Adam and Eve sinned and the human race and the world in general fell into the effects of sin. And so people underestimate how powerful this is. And so maybe you've heard someone say, well, you know, uh, you know, my friend just had a, a heart attack and died, and, and man, he was in great shape. He ate well. Uh, he played basketball all the time. It just doesn't make sense. Well, it, it doesn't make sense in a world as God created it, where Adam and Eve are in the garden and their bodies are never going to die and there's perfect health and there's no pain. But once sin came into the world, it affected everything, including our bodies. In other words, the reason that human beings die is because of sin in the world. Let that sink in for a second. God didn't create it to be that way, but through human beings' sin, it's what happens. And then another, and this is what we've just talked about, another misbelief or unrealistic belief is where people put their ultimate authority on reality. And people will say, my feelings are the ultimate authority on reality. In other words, I'm going to listen to my feelings and my thoughts over God's word and what he has described about himself about sin, about the world, and what we experience. So let me, let me give you guys a few more facts about God as you experience suffering that I think will greatly help you and minister to your heart as you go through hardship. Here's, here's the first one. God understands your pain. God is omniscient. He knows all things. And what I want to get at here is God understands your pain in the sense that he knows all things, but God also understands your pain from experience. In other words, God himself has suffered. The, the very Son of God became a human being, took on human flesh, and experienced suffering like we did. That's, if you really think about that, that's crazy to experience. He experienced uh, the pain and suffering of, of weakness and temptation. Think about this. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every spec, respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. He knows from experience. He knows what it's like to be persecuted by people. Hebrews 12.3 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, 
so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And the, the obvious and business example is that Jesus knows physical pain, and he knew it in his crucifixion. He understands your pain because he knows all things, but he also knows it via experience. Here's a second one. God can turn your suffering into good. There's a reason that Romans 8.28 is one of the most famous or clinged to verses in the Bible. It says this, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Really what this is saying is that all that I experience, God works for good ultimately if I am called according to his purpose, if I'm his child, if I have repented and believed in Jesus by faith and been adopted into God's family. Later in Romans 8, and this is amazing, uh, it says this. I'm going to start in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Think about that phrase for a second. God is telling us that we are more than conquerors. So all these things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Someone who conquers not just overcomes that, but if you are more than a conqueror, it's turned on its head and it serves your ultimate good. So if your ultimate good is to glorify God and enjoy him, then all these hardships God uses for ultimate good for you and for him. That is an amazing promise. One of the best stories where someone understood and got this is the story of Joseph. So if you go and look in the last, uh, you know, maybe 15 chapters of, of Genesis, you'll find the story of Joseph, and he's sold into slavery by his brothers and ends up in Egypt, and through some miraculous events, God raises him to a position of, of authority and power and influence. He is able, to, it, from that position, to foretell uh, that a famine is coming and to make preparations and saves a bunch of lives. And after he, he's reunited with his brothers and their father passes away, his brothers start to worry that now Joseph will take revenge on, on them and he says this, Joseph said this to him, As for you, you meant evil against me, selling him into slavery. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So he understood that God turned the suffering into good and had a plan for it. So God understands your pain. He can turn your suffering into good. And let me just even, maybe this is more adding to the first one I just said, but God knows your pain and loves you. In Acts 9, Jesus appears to a, a man named Saul who is persecuting the church and says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And one commentator, I was reading this a number of years ago, pointed out that Jesus loves his people so much that their pain is his pain. When you really love someone and you see them going through something, there's a degree to which their pain becomes your pain. 
And so Jesus can say to someone persecuting the church, why are you persecuting me? Another of my favorite stories that has really ministered to me about, about how Jesus enters into our pain and, and grieves with us comes in John 11 where his friend Lazarus dies and he shows up to, to their uh, thoughts a bit late. In other words, had he come earlier, they thought he would have been able to, to heal Lazarus and keep him from dying. Jesus knows that he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet when he sees them weeping, he weeps with them. That's a really fascinating insight. He, I put it this way, if I knew I was going to raise someone from the dead shortly and assuage and wipe away all this grief and turn it into rapturous joy, I would not weep with them in the moment. But Jesus chooses to, even in the moment, weep with them when he sees their pain. Here's a fourth one to think about in the midst of your hardship and pain is that God has suffered for you. Think about this. Jesus went through more pain than you or I ever will and deserved it less than we do and did it out of love for us. So when we ask God, you know, why are you allowing this pain? We also need to ask God, why did you endure so much for me? No one suffered in Jesus. We have God who suffered more. No one suffered more than Jesus, and no one deserved it less. And he did it for us. Can I, can I read a longer passage to you to, to let this kind of sink in how amazing this is? This is from Isaiah 53. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. No one suffered more, and no one deserved it less, and he did it for you. I, th- I can't think of anything 
that communicates that God is trustworthy in the midst of our suffering than that. And lastly, let me say this. God is going to make it all better in the end. This isn't just a pipe dream or a fairy tale. But, but God says this in his word. Listen to a couple more of these facts. This is Romans 8.18 where it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Or 2 Corinthians 4.17 and 18 where it says, For this light and momentary affliction, he's calling what we experience now light and momentary towards what he's about to compare it to. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our friends, when I, when I read that uh, quote earlier on, said this a- after the, the portion that I already read to you. said, we are praying for a miracle tomorrow, as their daughter was going into surgery. Uh, During the long wait for a heart and for her transplant, we're praying. We know the Lord is fighting for her and is hearing all our prayers. We know he is good and sovereign over all of this, even though it doesn't make any sense. Please join us in prayer. They acknowledge that he's good and he's in control of everything, even if it doesn't make sense to us. And sometimes, honestly, if we were really to think about it, it's it's hard or it's beyond the human intellect or capacity to fully understand why some of these hard things are happening and we need to choose to place our faith and trust in a good and loving God. I mentioned, as I shared a lot of these promises, that God is close to his people and his children. And a lot of these, a lot of what I've shared really does apply to someone who has come into the family of God. And the reality is is that we all come into the world as God's creation, but we don't come in as his children. The way that we become his children, if I could just share briefly a little bit of how this looked for me, is through repentance and faith. And so when I was about 21 years old, I eventually, you know, after understanding who Jesus was, he's the Son of God, He really existed. He really died on a cross for sins in fulfillment of the scriptures. He really rose again from the dead, also in fulfillment of what the scriptures said would happen. And that I needed to turn from my wicked ways, embrace uh, his atoning work as the sacrifice for my sins. I actually knelt down in a flood of tears, and this was my, my simple prayer. I ended up saying, God... I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I give up. I give up. Come into my life. And what I was saying was, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry that I have sinned against you and wronged you. I give up living my way in life. I give up choosing a life of sin over what you have said in your word is the way to live. And I asked him to come into my life. And when that occurred, and God had been working in my heart by faith, I was changed and I became his child. And so I encourage you to examine where you are at. Examine yourself. 
to consider if you are his child yet or not. And if, and if you are not, can I encourage you to express in prayer your need for a Savior and ask God to rescue you and come into your life? I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Blue Stem Project. It really has been a pleasure having you. Uh, and again, we want to remind you that the Bluestone Project exists to equip and encourage you in the suffering, hardships, and trials of life that come with health issues and disability. We do this by helping root you in Christ and by giving you the tools you need to be ready for life's greatest obstacles. It would be an honor to take this journey with you, uh, and likewise, it would be an honor to earn your subscription. And if this podcast has ministered to you, uh, please do tell a friend or family member who is experiencing health issues and medical disability about the Bluestone Project. Thank you.